Welcome to the Power Your Life radio show with host and success doc, Joanne White. Author, speaker, certified coach, and energy master, Doc White gets to the heart of what matters most. She features guests and experts to help you consciously create more success, health, and wellness in every area of your life, work, and relationships. They'll share their success stories, wisdom, and know-how to help you shine more light onto your day and into your life. Power your life right now. Here's Joanne White. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining me. I'm Joanne White, your host of Power Your Life. And speaking of Power Your Life, many times many of us go through different kinds of challenges, and we want to reach out to those people right now in California who are going through the fires and just sending them our prayers and, and healing energies and just reaching out to other people who need who need that right now all around the globe. So in terms of power and empowerment, many of us go through all sorts of challenges and many of those challenges leave scars that we kind of go through life with and oftentimes those scars and those challenges remain a secret. We don't always share them with people for many, many reasons. And yet often when we do, (coughs) that helps other people heal their own scars. It's amazing how that happens and heal heal their own wounds. And today we're going to talk about that in more length with a woman's mental health expert, a psychotherapist, an author, and a speaker, Kelly Kitley, who just released her autobiography on survival, Myself. This is an inspiring story that she shares to encourage women and men to be the best version of themselves. As a Chicago native, Kelly grew up in Lincoln Park above her parents' bar, and at the age of 16, after being treated for an eating disorder by a clinician, she said to herself, someday I too want to help women and men and open up a private practice on Michigan Avenue. And guess what? She's now living her dream and serendipitous psychotherapy is right there where she imagined all those years ago. Kelly's been featured in 100-plus national publications as an expert clinician, including HuffPost, Fox News, Self, Shape, U.S., World News, and Report. She's also a columnist for fitnessmagazine.com, and Kelly's contributed to many podcasts. WGN Radio, WGN Morning News, WBEZ, an expert speaker for the Bump Club and Beyond and Mommy Con, educating women and their partners on postpartum depression, anxiety, OCD, and intimacy after having a baby. Her goal, which she is living right now, is to share her experience, strength, and hope after overcoming tremendous adversity. Wow. Welcome, Kelly. Kitley, how are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me this morning. My pleasure. And let's talk a little bit about those scars before we get into how you're helping people now. What 
what kind of triggered that eating disorder? Do you know? I mean, let's go back a little mm. bit. If <laughs> going to poke at those scars, if you don't mind. So, sure, sure. So, so um, you know, at it. Well, as you had mentioned, I grew up above my parents' bar and was surrounded by a heavy drinking culture uh, from a young age. And, you know, I think that, as and being the oldest of five, um, my parents decided that they wanted to move a little further out of the city and um, have a little more um, reserve in terms of creating a different kind of family lifestyle for us. And um, with that, there was a family friend that we had um, met through the neighborhood who um, came into our life and uh, had sexually abused me. And that was at the age of 10. Um, And I had kept that a secret for a while. I felt a lot of shame and had felt like that was my fault um, and was really scared to tell anybody. And then um, during a lesson in school, we were going over a chapter about, um, you know, stranger danger and appropriate versus inappropriate touch. And it was a Catholic school. So I thought, oh, my gosh, if I don't tell somebody, I'm going to go to hell. Um, and that day I had come home and I had told my dad, um, about this family friend who was a friend of his, um, and he didn't believe me. And so it was my first experience of learning that we keep those things hidden and secrets. And so I had bottled it up and shoved it deep down inside. And, um, very quickly I started to become body conscious. And um, as is common for a lot of young girls and boys who have been sexually abused, um, had developed an eating disorder in my adolescence that carried through into high school. Did you ever tell your mom about the the sexual abuse or just your dad? I did just tell my dad, and that, you know, is something that people do ask me Um you know, I, I felt more emotionally connected to my dad. And um, in that situation, you know, my dad is this big guy with a big voice, and I felt really safe with him. Um, and my mom was never really a part of that um, until many years later when I had confronted them when I was in treatment for the eating disorder just to um, validate, not minimize what I had gone through. Um, But, yeah, I I never really have had the opportunity to have much discussion about it with my mom. Well, I think once you you talked to your dad, Kelly, and he sort of made you feel that 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 was impossible, that it wasn't true, you know, that usually silences a lot of of young (laughs) people, girls and boys. And it's interesting, I just wanted to make a comment that many people, many, and again, not just females, but many people that go through sexual abuse feel what you felt, the shame, they think it's their fault, they keep quiet. We're seeing a lot of these scandals that are coming up and people that have been quiet about sexual harassment, sexual abuse, whatever, for years. And a lot of times, especially the times have changed now, but a lot of times even the courts thought that, well, you know, if you, as especially a female, if you were sexually abused, 
you did something. You you initiated it in some way. You you know you did something to get that person hyped up about sex or whatever, which is really not true. And and those are things that hopefully we are we are slowly changing. So that's that's a pretty amazing you know story that what you had to go through and and certainly the eating disorder is no fun. Did your parents know about the eating disorder and how did you get the help that you needed to really mm-hmm. help you move forward with that? Well, you know, it's interesting because I am sure that my behaviors um, of sneaking food and restricting and over-exercising were apparent, but um, nobody had said anything. And um, my best friend um, in high school had noticed my behaviors and um, she had told a teacher and then ultimately ended up calling my mom and telling her. Um, And my mom didn't confront me. I had, uh, actually come clean after I I knew that she had told on me. And, you know, my mom was very responsible in the fact that, you know, she got me an appointment with a a nutritionist and I went to see my primary care physician and a psychiatrist and then ultimately a therapist. I I remember that day it was like appointment to appointment. Um, But my dad did not believe in therapy and it wasn't discussed with him. Um, Kind of speaks to the dynamics in our family uh, relationship, but, um, I saw a therapist and at one point the family therapist or the therapist had suggested that we, um, see a family therapist. And that's when we told my dad, um, and he went to the appointment, but ultimately ended up, um, blowing up in the session and, um, my treatment was terminated. And so, um, luckily I was at a place where I was getting ready to leave for college soon. Um, and I was able to pick up treatment at the, at the college counseling center. Wow. So with your dad kind of being in denial, in an angry denial sort of, and not believing in, in therapy, you actually went on very courageously, I might add, to write <laughs> this book. And my question is, I mean, now, now the book, now that information wasn't just only exposed to, you know, the immediate family, but it's there for everybody in the world. <laughs> I'm not minimizing mm-hmm. that by any means, but and everybody to take a look at. What was your, what were your parents' responses to that? Once, I mean, it's new, but still, where are they with that? And where are where are our family members and friends with this this kind of report and and sharing all of you know all of these I'm going to say secrets because oftentimes those are secrets that stay within the family. Sure. Well, and that's what really empowered me was this idea of you know I had gone through many different experiences in my life that were minimized and I was told you know to not say anything or you know to kind of fix it and move on and that kept me feeling isolated and alone for a long time and so I I found myself going to um, bookstores and reading memoirs of other women who had gone through similar situations and felt connected and didn't feel so alone. And so um, when I had initially started writing the book, 
you know, my mom had, then this was many years ago, my mom said, you know, I wish you would wait until we were no longer alive. Um, and I, you know, did not respect those wishes, um, but had explained to her why it was important to me. And, um, you know, nobody's family wants them to write an autobiography or a memoir um, because of the fear of the light that would be shed on some of these dynamics and these addictions and mental health issues. Um, but quite honestly, nobody reports that they have read the book in my family and nobody has said anything. And um, I tried to open up discussion about it, but it was shut down pretty quickly. Um, So I find strength and hope in being able to share my experience with others who have gone through similar things or who are currently going through things, um, which has been beyond my wildest imagination. Right. You know, it's amazing because it, it's you're sharing your truth. You're sharing moments that were painful moments, those, the scars, as you call them, that that oftentimes, like I said earlier, remain with us for, for a lifetime. And sometimes we gloss over it or ignore them or push them down. And you brought them up maybe later on years later maybe your parents or other family members will be you know able to come to terms with with that with the book with the the autobiography mm-hmm. however kudos i think it's really important kelly to not only to the women and the men who've been sexually abused but it also to you know kind of like to say to families wake up if this is going on we you know we just is it more important to just have an image or isn't it more vital to really take care of the members and, and really kind of see what's going on and put an end to whatever kind of behavior is like silencing them or, or keeping people hidden or abused or whatever. So I think that, that it has a twofold message. Well, probably more than that. So tell us a little <laughs> bit about this book. I have it. <laughs> so I'm lucky. <laughs> So, but tell our listeners a little bit about what's in the book and what it was what was the process right like in in like bearing your soul. Did you cry Mm. a lot as you? I mean, I'm trying to get a sense of it because I'm also a writer and and I know when I'm writing some of those, what happened. Mm. Well, it was extremely cathartic and therapeutic, and I cried many times. You know, I really need – I mean, it's a raw book, and I expose all, um, and, and bearing my soul really in just – the way that I was able to write that was putting myself back into those situations. And so with the eating disorder and the childhood sexual abuse, you know, um, that was a long time ago. And I had thought that I worked through all of that in therapy. Um, And so now as a mother with four small children, I was looking at it from the lens of, Oh my gosh, if this ever happened to one of my children, I, would do everything in my power to help them feel supported and safe and get them the help that they needed and not minimize. Um, And, and so that was difficult. I think some of the things that I write about later on in the book about, um, you know, being um, a victim or survivor now of a random act of violence on the streets of Chicago, which was also um, a sexual 
assault um, and going to the police and, and having them minimize and asking me if I was drunk and, um, you know, some of the things that happened later on in life. um, I don't want to say were easier, but they were more readily available in terms of like the emotions and the senses and putting myself back there. I think it was some of the younger childhood things that was, you know, really tough at times because I was thinking about my own kids. And, you know, um, that's – no, go ahead. I was just going to say, and, and, you know, that last portion of the book that was was put on hold for quite a while because I was having children um, and starting a business was this piece of substance abuse and how I had self-medicated with alcohol um, when I was experiencing anxiety after having children, um, you know, that was the last piece. And I've been sober four and a half years now. And, you know, revealing that as a professional too, you know, and there were people who saw me as a clinician during that time who came forward and who had read the book and said, oh my gosh, were you drinking in between our sessions? Um, You know, and, and kind of opening that component and you know, for the listeners, no, I was not drinking during the sessions. Um, I drank at home at night, and um, it was more binge drinking than anything. But um, having that piece revealed, too, and as a professional, I think there's such a stigma associated with that um, that it really kind of touches a lot of different um, areas throughout my life of just being a warrior and getting knocked down and kind of moving forward and saying, what do I learn from this? How do I grow? How do I heal? And um, what's next? You know, and all of that is so important. Something you said really struck me, and that is that, you know, know, when you had children, you were looking at, at, what if what if something like this happened to them? And oftentimes I was thinking of children that are abused, that are bullied. It's so important for parents to let their children know that whatever it is, that they can hear it rather than deny it, that they're not going to criticize the child for something that happened to him or to her so that they mm-hmm. leave room open for children to come forward and reveal these kinds of issues so that don't have to be squashed down like yours did for for a long time. So mm-hmm. kudos for, you know, for, for that too because again, you're not just talking to to people who've been abused, but to families and and to a society and saying, you know, hey, wait a minute, we've got to wake up to this too and and take charge. So a question about eating disorders, okay, because I've worked with people with eating disorders, and and I'm wondering, like, afterwards, I worked with somebody who said that she, that afterwards she, always, she wasn't, she wasn't binge eating, she wasn't doing anything else, she wasn't, like, regurgitating, she, you know, whatever, she wasn't going crazy mm-hmm. with it in, in way but she would have dreams she would have dreams of going into the bathroom and regurgitating and these dreams were constant we healed the dreams but I'm wondering was there any and is there any kind of residual from from that well I think in the clinical world in the professional world of mental health and eating disorder treatment there are 
differing opinions. You know, um, I say that I am in recovery from an eating disorder and some people say they are recovered. Um, and so the residual component, no, I don't act out in my eating disorder. I don't overexercise or binge and purge or restrict. Um, but certainly I'm human and I'm a woman in a society that, you know, certainly looks at body image in a certain light. And so did I struggle with gaining 40 pounds at each pregnancy or, you know, um, eating more sweets when I first got sober and things like that. Sure. I mean, and, you know, looking in the mirror and not feeling like my best self, um, I think those are more natural thoughts. But, you know, the progression of the healing process in an eating disorder, I think it needs to be an active practice of um, just being mindful and, and body positive as, a, as opposed to beating yourself up for you know, the body that you wish you had or that you don't have or that you had when you were acting out in your eating disorder. Um, so I do think that it comes up, you know, certainly for clients that I see um, who have a history of an eating disorder, it may come up as like a thought or a dream or, you know, with all these diets that are out there, um, certainly that, that desire to like only have clean eating or the paleo diet, all these things that are supposed to be healthy, but somebody who has a history of an eating disorder really should not um, engage in those because it could re-trigger that desire to do things extreme. Right. And with many eating disorders, people can actually risk death because of the severity of of the body being so lacking nutrition, right? So that's that's scary. Mm -hmm. Let's shift gears a little bit because you're now this incredible clinician and you work with a lot of women and a lot of families. And what do you find, I'm kind of going broad here, but what do you find are some of the major concerns that the women that come to you have in terms of their lives or their their secrets or scars? Um, you know, I've, I've kind of fallen into this niche of women, you know, I do see a large portion of women after they've had a child. So either, you know, six weeks postpartum or in, in, you know, that, that stage of having young children. And I think, you know, something that a lot of women struggle with that they don't talk about, and it's even so difficult to talk about in session is sexual intimacy. And all of these components that, you know, body image issues after having a child or um, being perimenopausal or menopausal and, and really noticing a shift in their sexual desire and having low libido. I think this is something that, you know, men talk about more openly in terms of, you know, the sex they're having, the good sex and, you know, the glorified sex and, and women are feeling, you know, okay, here I'm supposed to be, in quotes, this sexual being, but I'm feeling like I'm experiencing a lot of sexual dysfunction, whether it's through, you know, your own individual sexuality or intimacy, sexual intimacy with your partner. I'm finding that that comes up across the board um, in the, the people that I work with in, in session. And what are some techniques or ways that that you work with with families and women to help them? Because, like you said, you know, off, often there is that postpartum depression as well, and and just 
we are, as women, you know, it, it, we are looked at in terms of our bodies, in terms of, and we're always measured in, against these incredible, incredible stars and actresses that you know, we just can't be like. And then we have children, and certainly, like you said, there, there's gaining weight, and there's not feeling comfortable in our bodies, and and just going through everything that that women need to go, you know, go through at the time. What do you find mm-hmm. are ways that you that you can support and that you do support women and their you know and their families through this time? Well, you know, I think first and foremost, I work a lot with um, OBGYNs and and internists. Um, so those are the people that are referring a lot of my clients to me. Um, and if we rule out any medical condition, you know, um, like a prolapsed bladder after um, after having a child, then you know, some of it is the hangups that that women have about how we view ourselves ourselves as a sexual being. And so a lot of times the techniques and the treatment will be talking about, you know, what kind, what is your new normal? You know, everybody comes in and says, Oh gosh, we had so much sex when we, you know, we're first dating and now we're married and we have two kids and we might have sex once every other week or once a month. And so creating this idea of, what what do you and your partner want? And a lot of times I'm recommending that women get more comfortable with their own sexuality and, in, and be able to masturbate and get comfortable in their own skin before they can share that with a partner. And I think even having that discussion can be difficult because women don't talk about masturbation. And I encourage all the women that I'm seeing, um, you know, ruling out any kind of sexual, you know, current sexual trauma or anything like that, um, that that's kind of where we start with ourselves and then being able to engage with our partner. You know, I think that's so important, Kelly, because we have to understand our bodies, ourselves. We have to understand what gives us pleasure, what what we're afraid of, and, and, and kind of explore that. So I think that that's really important and necessary. And traditionally, women have been told, you know, you're supposed to have sex and just endure it. And, it, right. and this goes way back historically and, and not even express pleasure or experience pleasure. And, what, and so we've come a long way, but like you're saying, there's still so much more to do in terms of being comfortable with who we are, with our sexuality, and being able to bring that into any kind of real intimate sexual relationship. I have an important question because you see you, you now have children and here you have this book that's exposing your traumas. How, how did you, I don't know how old your kids are, but how did you share that with your children? Did you do it mm-hmm. beforehand? I mean, what kind of discussion, if any, did you say to these kids and to your, you know, your children and what what were or are their responses? Well, you know, my kids are 11, 9, 7, and 5, so they're younger. Um, They have been my biggest cheerleaders just in the sense of, you know, rooting me on when I would have 
to reach a deadline or when I um, was publishing or getting the book into bookstores. And so they had no idea what it was about. Um, you know, they know that mom doesn't drink and, um, you know, the idea that they have is that I'm allergic to alcohol. And, you know, when I drink alcohol, I don't act the way that I like to act. Um, they don't know about the sexual trauma and certainly the relationship with my parents. Um, you know, it's their grandparents. So I've been protective of not overexposing them. Um, I told them that they can read it when they're um, 18, but um, they really, they think it's cool that mom wrote a book and mom's an author, but they don't really know what the book's about. <laughs> No, and you know day. what? It's probably a good idea for now, like you said. I mean, it's not, some, of, some of what's in the book is yeah. really not their ears at this Age point. Appropriate. Right. And, yes, and, you know, exactly. Fortunately, what's the relationship with your parents now? Because they're in the book. <laughs> well, you know, my Sorry. relationship with. No, that's okay. My relationship with my dad has pretty much always been strained um, and I have really come to an acceptance of what it is rather than wishing what it could be or was. Um, I don't know if my dad has ever read a book in his life so I didn't expect him to read um, the book. I thought maybe people would read him excerpts from it um, but you know my mom is a very private person um, and I think, you know, having tried to have some kind of discussion with her, um, you know, she says kind of the same thing that you said, you know, I'm, I'm sharing my truth um, and I am honest and genuine. And, you know, if you sat all of my siblings down, I'm sure everybody would have a little bit of a different perspective about what growing up in that family was like. Um, but, you know, we all had very different experiences because my parents ended up getting divorced Um when I went to college. So um, they have different, everybody has different relationships with them. But, um, you know, I've tried to talk to my mom about the book, um, but I just, I think it's too early and too raw. And my hope is that maybe at some point, but, um, you know, I didn't write the book for my family. Um, you know, I wrote it for me first and foremost, and I try to portray them in a light that you know, they did the best that they could with the tools that they had. Um, and I don't blame them. Um, and certainly as a parent myself now, my poor kids, you know, for better or for worse, I probably overcompensate and process everything and make sure there are no secrets. Um, but uh, finding a balance with that, too, is really important. You know, at some point we we can go on blaming our families, our parents for their their imperfections <laughs> and we can do mm -hmm. that throughout our lives and I'm not talking about sexual abuse or anything like that but at some point we really have to and, and this is my opinion we really have to take ownership so that we can turn it around and really empower ourselves so that we can you know we are the ones that at this point are building and are the architects of our lives so tell us a little bit about how you help to empower others because I think it's so important and it and it's a, an incredible strength for all of us to have and you certainly had to go through that and come out the other side from everything that you experienced early on in your life. 
Mm. Well, uh, you know, something that I'm a, a huge advocate for is owning our story and being able to kind of take a, you know, I'm not a psychoanalytical therapist. You know, I, I do work a lot in the here and now um, with individuals and couples, but I think it is important to look at, you know, the the history and what were major components in your life that have, have shaped who you are. And I'm a big proponent of people journaling and keeping tracks of track of thoughts and feelings and um, different kinds of behaviors and making very small steps. You know, um, sometimes people come into my office and they're like, you know, come in with a presenting problem and say, so how long do I have to be here before we can fix this? <laughs> um, and, you know, it, it's taken us this long to get where we are. And so it's going to take some time to undo and, and train our minds differently and to change behaviors. But, um, you know, something that I have really tried empowering people is there's so much strength in stories. And I think you said this as well. You know, everybody has a story. Everybody can learn and connect in some way um, from somebody else's story and really being able to build communities that you can be vulnerable in um, and that you can be your authentic self. I mean, certainly, you know, I wouldn't go to a new mom's um, play date exposing all of this information that I've written in my book. I mean, some of it's, you know, about boundaries and knowing your audience, but there, I can say almost 99.9% of the time when I have shared something about my own life, somebody has said, yeah, me too. And people don't feel as alone. Um, and, and so I encourage the people that I work with to create these safe places where you can be totally honest and open and understand some of the things that we've gone through in our life. You know, I think that that's so important and really key here because when you do, and this is, and, and like you said, this is one of the reasons that you, you know, you wrote this book so that you're uncovering your scars for people so that you're allowing them to feel okay about their own scars, being able to be open about it, have a dialogue, and, and ultimately not just heal themselves, but but it goes on and on in terms of helping others heal. So kudos for for that and for your courage. It takes courage to to put this kind of stuff out. <laughs> it really does. Mm. <laughs> Thank you. I have a you question. Know, it, it's my way of, yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. It's your way of. That's more important. <laughs> I would, no, I was just going to say it's my way of giving back and paying it forward. You know, if other people hadn't shared their stories with me, I wouldn't know what it looked like on the other side. Right. You speak for Mommy Con and the Bump Club. What is Mommy Con? Um, they're, they're both uh, organizations that really provide information to new moms about different kinds of products, different kinds of supports. Um, educating, you know, I'm an expert speaker for the Bump Club and beyond, so I will go to um, different kinds of dinners and educate women about signs and symptoms of postpartum depression. It's really being able to expose people, um, new moms in particular, about, you know, what it's like to transition from not having a child to having a child and um, where, how they can communicate with their partner and whether they're going to return to work or not. And, you know, it's a resource that 
when, when I had my first child 11 and a half years ago, um, I felt like, oh, my gosh, having a baby is supposed to be this beautiful experience. And, you know, as moms, we're just supposed to be natural. And that was so not my experience. And I felt embarrassed and I didn't have the resources to connect with other moms. So to be able to create that kind of dialogue for new moms is so important to me. Well, I think you've done a fantastic job, and I think that that, that's important. New moms need to kind of – it's new territory. And even if they're going through postpartum depression, they're not aware of – they may not be aware of – why they're feeling that way or why they're crying or or why that, you know, and so it's so important that you do the work that you do to reveal all this and to allow people to talk about it openly and help one another. So, Kelly, we could talk forever. I love what you do. I think the book myself is very important work. And again, not just for women. I think it, it's it's important for men to to look at it too. So tell people mm-hmm. how they can get a hold of the book, how they could find out more about Kelly Kitley, your website, and and something exciting that's about to happen in a few weeks. <laughs> Thanks. So my website is www. kelly k e l l e y kitley k i t com, and that's about uh, the website that people can see articles that I've written and um, serendipitous psychotherapy, which is my psychotherapy practice. Um, you can purchase the book myself, an autobiography of survival on Amazon um, and Amazon prime can get it to you um, next day delivery. And um, I have a TEDx, talk coming up that um, I'm very excited about. It's uh, something that I've wanted to do for a really long time. And um, the title of the talk is I Show My Scars So Others Know That They Too Can Heal. Wonderful. And that's so exciting. So kudos for that. How do we tune into that? So we are um, having the event in right outside of Chicago on Friday, October 27th. And people can follow me on Facebook or Instagram, um, and I will post that when it is available for viewers. Because, um, you know, the importance of likes and shares and social media uh, really helps. Well, let us know so we can support you. Before we leave, what would you like to, to you know, what kind of comment or statement would you like our listeners to 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 have from you uh, so the biggest thing that um, I advocate for is breaking through the heaviness of shame and the only way we can heal from that is together and um, I think a lot of times people hold on to experiences because they're afraid that they're the only person who has experienced this or that other people will judge them. And no matter what you're going through, there is a community of other people who have gone through something similar, whether it's sexual abuse or an eating disorder or postpartum depression or substance abuse. I mean, we have so many resources. A lot of them are free. Um, Google is an amazing resource for people to find what they're looking for in their own community. And don't go at this alone. 
Wonderful. And and you are leading the field in many ways to, to encourage women and their families to do just that, not go it alone, share their stories, which helps them heal and other people heal. Kelly Kitley, thank you so much for all that you do and for being a wonderful guest on Power Your Life today. Thank you for having me, Joanne. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Take care. We're going to be shifting gears maybe next year because it seems like, I mean, next week, it seems like we have a lot of people, again, who have scars and who've come through whatever challenges they've had and come through to the other side. And next week, October 18th, and I hope I'm pronouncing Karen's last name right, we have Karen M. Shenman, who is a superstar survivor, and she's going to tell us how we can also be survivors. And one of the reasons that I've called this show Power Your Life is because I believe that within us we have the wherewithal, the ability, the tools that we need. It doesn't mean that we don't need help and support, but we have ways that we can feel good about ourselves and empower ourselves. So take a small step today, whatever it is, to take a moment to feel good about something that you've done or that you're doing and a step towards something that makes you feel strong and empowered. Thanks so much for being here. I'm Dr. Joanne White. If you want to get a hold of me, you can go to docdocwhite.org, find out some, get some articles, find out more about upcoming shows and the TV show and more. And thanks so much for being you. You've been listening to the Power Your Life radio show with host and author, Dr. Joanne White. Listen often and spread the word about the Upbeat Show to enrich you and grow your life in the direction you desire. Listen again and again and visit DocWhite.org for more information and find out how Dr. Joanne can benefit you. Thank you for sharing your day with us and stay tuned for more exciting guests and events to come.